Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Jude Law is an internationally renowned actor, film producer and director. Born in Lewisham, he began acting training at the National Youth Music Theatre and landed his first television role aged 17. His large body of work includes the role of Dickie Greenleaf in The Talented Mr Ripley, for which he won a Best Supporting Actor BAFTA in 1999. He later appeared as Dr John Watson in the Sherlock Holmes franchise, and who can forget his sex spot in Steven Spielberg's AI. I caught up with Jude talking about his latest film, The Nest, where he's playing the deliberately odious city trader Rory O'Hara. We discussed the complications of fame, why he was so determined to raise his children outside of the spotlight, and the perils of being typecast as a heartthrob. I began by asking him to set the scene of the movie. It's set in 1986. Uh, I play an Englishman called Rory O'Hara, who has been in the United States trying to make his fortune. And he's built a family over there and decides to take them back to England on the wave of deregulation or the big bang and the potential that that perhaps offers him as an entrepreneur, as a businessman. And as he gets back, you realize that he's not quite all that he says he is. And the dynamic at home, the love of the family starts to fracture and unpeel. And you are witness, I suppose, to a family recognizing the truths and untruths that sort of bind them. Your character, um, Rory, is flamboyant and quite exciting, but he's not entirely sympathetic. Um, what was it about him that drew you to him as a character? Because you must have seen the challenges present in portraying him. I think it was exactly that. It was the challenge to make him charismatic and buoyant and attractive because it was clear from the 
the family dynamic and the fact the the casting of Carrie Coon as Alison. Carrie is and well, she can play anything, but in it, it was clear on the page that Alison, her character, was independent, loving, smart, sassy. And they had these two children who adored both of them and followed them both very, very happily wherever they were led. So Rory had to be seductive, or at least you had to empathise with them uh, and, 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 and enjoy his company before the unpeeling, before the unravelling, before the truths, if you like, came out. So that challenge really was what drew me. And initially on paper, that wasn't there. He was far more unattractive in my mind, or at least he was in writing. And the, the very first discussions that Sean and I had, Sean Dirk and the, uh, the, the writer-director, were all about how do we make this man appealing? How do we make him attractive so that you're willing to go on this store, this journey with him? And what was interesting to me was the we, what we did to, to, to work that out was to go right back to his infancy and build a sort of a, a, a journey of the trials and tribulations of his life what had he been told as a child what had he broken free from as a child and and what were the the restraints either socially or economically that he had championed or left behind and why was he the way he was and and therefore for me as an actor but also I suppose as a human being observing another human being shed light on this sense that we are all uh, a, a sort of uh, and a mass of personality that enables us to uh, better um, uh, communicate, better achieve, better survive social scenarios or the work scenario. And if you stop and sometimes, or you have someone that, that loves you and is patient enough to stop and point out certain things, you realize how far removed you are perhaps from the real you, you know, or the truth of who you are. It's also a very uh, modern lens through which to view a character, isn't it? There's a, there's a, a huge helping of post-analysis, uh, you know, uh, uh, investigation there, isn't there? Yes, I suppose there is. Um, it's interesting because I used, I, I, I kept referring to Robert Redford in earlier uh conversations about the piece in that I referenced him or Sean perhaps referenced him to me as an actor who was able to play um, or use uh, uh, charisma and um, physical attraction as a way of luring in an audience and then sometimes delivering characters that were were more complex beneath the surface. But in fact, if you think about it, you know, this, this film could perhaps only have been made in the last 10 or so years because of the way it it ultimately reveals the the, uh, inner workings of its leading character, you know, Um, the the, the frailties of him and the... uh, the missteps, I suppose. Mm. I mean, it's very much a psychological drama without, <laughs> I mean, I hope I'm not sort of, it's not a spoiler alert, you know, without murder or anything, you know, uh, particularly yes. dramatic on that level occurring. I don't know how much you felt it as you were filming the movie with Sean Dirk and the writer-director, but as a viewer, you know, he uses all the tropes of a sort of psychological horror movie. You know, you're close up all the time 
with these characters, you know, with with Carrie and with you. But but yeah. particularly with Carrie, I think he uses it with this where you have this sense that you know anything could happen at any moment. And um, how how did he manage to conjure that? So that was present uh, in the script, and um, if anything, was just slightly uh, diluted as we as we made the film. But the idea being that you know the intensity and the, the the focus on will this family survive or won't they was in his eyes and in our eyes as collaborators um thrilling and dangerous and although this family's journey is 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 only a small distance you know the, the area that they cover and the depth to which they cover it as in as as souls as 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 human human beings is i think incredibly um moving to them and one of the one of the things i loved about the piece was that there is no murder or death or you know many often you see these dramas where it's uh, you know about the, the death of one of the family members or 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 god forbid a child or mm. the divorce or an affair and this is really about a family actually trying to survive and traveling as i said a short distance but covering incredible ground and what's more thrilling than that and i on top of which he he loved the idea that this this poor family are taken into this enormous drafty uh um vast um uh, uh, house in the middle of the countryside and sort of left there to get on with their life while the father is in town trying to make money and a lot of the story is told through them uh um surviving in this house and the house becomes a character in a way that that, that is either going to kill them or consume them rather you mentioned them being transported to this sort of gothic styled mansion in in surrey from this incredibly beautiful um american modernist mansion in upstate new york that we that we first meet them in and and that is an indication of the other thing at the heart of this film, which is that this, the whole element of of American culture versus British culture, and um, the the sort of dynamic, the sort of old world. This is how we do things versus the dynamism of the American approach. Neither, perhaps, uh, being uh, perfect in their realization. That must have been another interesting facet for you, as someone who's worked, you know, all your career between those two nations yeah and particularly interesting because um of the period the the date that it was set so 1986 when in my memory as a teen around then you know England felt very much sort of um second place to the states everything was happening in the in America quicker and sooner and faster and um it felt like they were uh you know in the, in the future um and this is very much a, a looking at a time when an englishman's going home saying you know we've got to wake up we've got to catch up and it, it, it's it, it's an interesting time now to be reflecting on that period um do you think that's you know, changed then i think it's changed very much so. I think uh, the, the the globe is now a sort of twenty four seven, you know, um, um, uh, 
it's we're all on the same time period we're all we're all following on and on the same track and it feels very sort of homogenous now i think um certainly from my memory of of being a kid and 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 what i thought or what i believed was going on in the states um and and yet you know back then i think for for someone to come to return i mean i think someone even in the film calls him the prodigal son you know to come back apparently with success behind you from america was seen as incredibly glamorous um and uh an other you know um, but there's also this sense, like there's that awful drinks party where, um, you know, <laughs> Rory has come back from America and he's full of bravado and pizzazz and this is blah, blah, bling. This is how things are going to go. And he comes up against this wall of machismo and snobbery and yes. stubbornness. And it's very underplayed. I think Sean Durkin is very, very subtle with it. But. But, you know, there are many elements in a way there of British culture that that remain true today, uh, perhaps less obviously than they once did. But that whole boys club thing. Yes, it, that's very true. Very, very true. and Really well observed. I mean, of course, what you're you're also talking about a scene in which we start to see Rory fabricating um, his lifestyle. Um, in order to uh, uh, um, compete and uh, you know stay on a, a level footing with the with the individuals and the, and the people that you talked about, um, and therefore, I mean, I think what you've just raised is a really really interesting perspective on it. In in that, I just talked about how how much perhaps the UK has changed and how perhaps the, the you know the marketplace and the global sort of um, uh, environment environment or the parallels of the sort of global community have all leveled up but you're talking about these deep rooted uh social class class issues which really never change um and 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 the infrastructure you know the, the the sort of infrastructure that supports them how, how hard it is Do you, i don't know if you saw the uh, adam curtis documentaries um the recent ones on the BBC, but yes. they talk a lot about, you know, how hard it is to change those, 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 the, or pick the roots out of those, those incredibly deep set um, class uh, power structures. And of course, that's at the heart of what Rory really is fighting against and has been trying to break free from. And, and in a way, what unravels him. And I was going to talk to you about the significance of the of the timing, you know, and you talked about it from a sort of geopolitical global uh, uh, level. But but I think the other important aspect of that is that Alison, played by Carrie Coon, couldn't play that part now because as a woman then her life was constrained by her husband's ambitions in a way that hopefully things really have changed. And there's this terrible a lack of communication that goes on between them. And I was quite interested in, in how you approach that, because I think if I'm not wrong, you, your wife is a psychoanalyst. And so you must be very used to the very opposite sort of relationship where, where everything is up for grabs in terms of conversation. What was, um, what was clear from the get-go, working opposite Carrie, was that I didn't have to tell her everything I was doing. Sometimes, you know, you, you work with people and, it, and it, it always depends on the, the way in which the actor you're working opposite works and, and, and also the, the subject matter of the, the piece or indeed the relationship. But we carry, it, it, it sort of, she made it very clear without saying directly that she didn't want to know everything that I was doing. She was going to, she wanted to react and she also 
wanted to for there to be uh unknown you know li- not lies but un you know unknown areas to uh our character's relationship she's also someone who is fearless in that she's happy to delve in areas both of uh vulnerability weaknesses and you know and 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 that allowed her or, or or that was really what was at the heart of her able her ability to um step into a complicated relationship which as you rightly said you know i think beautifully demonstrates um the role some women played in the 80s in their in their marriages i know sean durkin mentioned his desire to look at women in that period inspired by aunts and cousins that he remembered these, these really strong opinionated independent women who were in strangely um uh destructive relationships mm. or seemingly you know under for all their independence and strength see, seemingly the, the, the society still kept them in place if you like mm. or, or, or or froze them in place and i think one of the strongest elements of this film is seeing carrie's character kind of a uh, uh, crack out of this cocoon and say you know I am the family and this is what I need and what we need and you've got to keep up with us I mean perhaps that's a nod to you know the ground we've covered since then um but it was certainly um yeah certainly very different from the the life and the relationship I I have at home very different hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jude, um, another interesting aspect of the film on a, on, a, on a broader level than just specifically about the nest is, that, is the way in which Rory is very keen to be seen as the sort of boy made good. Um, although his charm doesn't quite work like it used to. And I thought that was quite a brave thing to portray for an actor who's about to turn 50. Um, <laughs> did you find did you find that the experience exposing at all? Did it, did it make you think about yourself at this point in your life? Certainly. Uh, I'm sometimes of the belief that, you know, you're drawn to characters because of the way they they make you feel as an individual. I'm certainly someone, I'm certainly an actor who follows my nose to things that uh, challenge me or scare me, perhaps about myself, both as a person and as an actor. Like, can I do this? What will it take to pull this off? Where do I have to go to make it? believable um i've i think as i said a little bit before i'm 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 also drawn to the areas where you know reveal um 
both about the character, but ultimately, therefore, I suppose, about myself and who I am. Um, I certainly didn't approach Rory as some sort of reflection of, of where, because of he's some sort of reflection of where I'm at in my life. But I suppose in order for him to, to be believable, there had to be a certain amount of, look, I think every person, but I can only speak for the, you know, maybe men, I think most men get close to 50 and question uh, sort of what they've done or where they're going or who they are. And, you know, obviously they're not, they're not the young, the young people on the block anymore. Um, and uh, how does that how does that make one feel? I mean, that's a really interesting area. How does it make me feel? I I'm really enjoying the opportunity to work with directors like Sean or Brady Corbett or De- uh, David Lowry, who are a decade or so younger than me, and 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 really relishing their enthusiasm and ambition and vision for film Mm. you know i was Uh, talking to um livy purvis who's who's who's, uh standing on on our breakfast show at the moment and um and she was uh, speaking very fondly about your part as gigolo joe uh, in in ai all those those years ago and i i wondered if as a as a male actor who in the beginning was particularly celebrated you know for being handsome and you know seductive whether there's a relief as well to perhaps feeling that more character parts come your way as you get older do you think that's ever been something that you've concerned yourself with looking back even to my early 20s and when I started out as an actor I was always wary of being typecast under any kind of um, title, whether it be you know good-looking leading man or you know pretty boy next door or love mm. interest or whatever it may be. To me, the 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 road ahead and what sounded interesting and promising uh, was was the opportunity to try and play all sorts of parts. And I grew up watching people like Daniel Day Lewis and Gary Oldman and Tim Roth. You know, Gary and Tim both from parts of London where I grew up. And, and they all they seemed to be doing was was with characters that were completely different to the character the last character they played, and that to me sounded looked like a an exciting career as an actor. Um, so I've always been wary of being uh, branded as, as 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 anything because in the end it, it it never really has legs. I don't think. I think you can kind of you know um, uh, rinse it for all you can for a short period, but after a while, it's all about versatility. Um, it's definitely true to say, however, that the older I've gotten, the easier it's been to find parts that maybe fulfil that. Mm. Um, and uh, and at times in my past and at times in my um, career, um, I felt like the mantle of being, you know, good looking or pretty. Funnily enough, it's one that's been sort of thrown at me more through the media than actually through casting or through filmmakers. Filmmakers have, in my opinion, always been very generous in their... um, uh, Imaginations, uh, I suppose. Imagination or Mm. perception of who I am or what I can do as an actor, whereas no matter what I seem to play, I'm still, I think, branded in the the media as just being, you know, this this pretty boy who's, who's been rather lucky. 
<laughs> so how does it how how does it feel now? I, I, again, I say as uh, uh, approaching fifty, when you look back on on the choices that you've made in terms of your career, because you mentioned people like Gary Oldman and Tim Roth and and, and so on, and and they both ended up gravitating to America because that was where the work was and that was where they could best and most lucratively ply their trade. But you haven't done that. I mean, you've worked a lot in America, but you've remained very true to the UK as well. And in a way, the, the, there's a sense that perhaps you're being rewarded now because there's so much work being made here so many films so many tv shows and so on do you feel that this is a really great time to be an actor in in britain for a change it's certainly a great time to be an, an actor or uh, a, a member of any in any uh, capacity of a, of a crew film um film wise yeah there's so much going on here um my choice not to move to america was 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 too yeah, to, for two reasons. One was my young family, and it just always made sense that home was in a familiar place. And secondly, I just I enjoyed being uh, uh, taken out there to to do the odd job, but I always liked the idea of returning to a sort of neutral, familiar territory where, where I could re uh, recoup my kind of senses. <laughs> um, and uh, but right now. Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying working an awful lot in the UK, but at the same time, it's getting so um, uh, familiar to to me working here that actually I'm, I'm I'm rather excited about the prospect of getting a job abroad. I've just come back from Vancouver, actually, so I'm quite happy that we I got to take the family, my young family, out to um, and you know a new city. That was part of the thrill also of being an actor is you know getting to live in other cities and getting to know other communities when you're on location. You've also managed, I think, to to juggle the whole fame thing rather well, you know. Really? Gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you st- at the beginning, you probably had more than your fair share of, of of media scrutiny and attention, and and that's ebbed and flowed over the years. But you you do seem to have managed to lead a life that isn't under yes. constant scrutiny, or perhaps you've just learnt how to live that life and do your job. I think the latter is probably true. Um... Just in order to, you know, there are certain there were certain elements of my life I just didn't want to give up and change because I felt I was being um, forced to by um, by other people's either uh, curiosity or, or, or aggression, um, and I had to figure out ways to maintain those. I mean, I didn't ever want to be someone who had to have, for example, you know, security or private cars. I, I wanted my kids to grow up in an environment like I grew up in a very regular house in a very um, sort of unregimented way. And so there were, you know, one, I had to sort of figure out ways in which that could be so. Um, and and at the end of the day, I've always, to be honest, you know, found myself really rather, I mean, oh, I, I, away from work, I'm, I'm just someone who sort of likes to get on with my family life. I mean, I've, I've probably had, you know, my own, a fair chapter in my kind of late twenties of, of, of sort of wild times, but who didn't? I mean, right now I'm just someone who likes to kind of go to work and come home and be with my family. Um, and and I, I suppose after a while, the curiosity in that just fades, doesn't it? Because um, there's not really anything to see here. <laughs> yeah, indeed. No point in scrutinising. That's always a bit disappointing, though. <laughs> when yeah, when they stop so. digging around, you think, oh, no, I am interesting still, really, <laughs> truly. <laughs> uh, but you are indeed very interesting still. Just one final thing, Jude. <laughs> um, uh, uh, 
you've you've done uh, alongside your film career you've you've also done quite a bit of theater and and to great effect and and to great reviews and of course with theaters opening now i think everyone who likes going to the theater is getting quite excited about the prospect of returning um any chance that we might see you on the stage in the near or far future i hope so i uh the theater is absolutely a, a, a fundamental part of I feel who I am as an actor and why I why I started acting. In fact, as a as a as a kid in Southeast London, working in the theatre seemed realistic. Working in film seemed like a, a pipe dream. So it's a place I go back to, both as a as an audience member and as a uh, a, a, a creative, as an artist, as regularly as I can. I, there are a couple of um, there are a couple of ideas in the pipeline. I've over lockdown established a couple of really exciting relationships with two writers actually and um, working with them directly on ideas as opposed to this is something that, that that's I think changed fundamentally in my career I'm, I'm, I'm being a little more proactive in getting things made or, or getting involved in um, the development of projects whether it's theatre or film um, as opposed to sitting around waiting, I think I think I I'm too restless to sit and wait for someone to to think, oh, he'll be good in this part. Rather, I think I, I I'm happier now to go out and try and get the the project up and running. So that's very possible that we will be doing something in the next year or so. But at the moment, I also have quite a full slate of stuff um, that I'm that I'm actually developing with my production company. So that's going to keep me busy probably for the rest of this year. Do you think that was the result partly of lockdown, though, as well, that that, that that sort of, you know, proactive creativity became a necessity? I think it probably was. I mean, it was something that I was already dipping into or have been dipping into for the last for, for, for at least 10 years. But I think the focus and the time that lockdown afforded me um, really uh, pushed that forward or pushed the projects forward. Or indeed, perhaps just I think we all found new ways to spend our time that perhaps we put on hold or, or, or said that one day we would do and suddenly had time on our hands to uh, explore it. And, and for me, finally sitting down and um, reading the books that re- to, to research the areas of the uh, projects that I'm developing and, and having the opportunity to talk to the writers um, or, or certainly a couple of writers directly was a big part of that, yeah. Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Hold up. 